Well, good morning. Welcome to the 2021 China Power Conference. I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at CSIS. Thank you for joining us today. From now until 10 a.m., we will have our third debate. Our debate topics focuses, focuses on Afghanistan, in particular, whether China will establish itself as the most influential external power in Afghanistan within the next two years. Following the United States withdrawal from Afghanistan, China has taken measures to support the new Taliban-controlled government. China has maintained its embassy in Kabul, held high-level meetings with the Taliban and regional leaders on the future of Afghanistan, and called upon the international community to work with the Taliban in a rational and pragmatic manner. At the same time, China has donated 1 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines and is stepping up efforts to deliver about 31 million in emergency humanitarian assistance for Afghanistan. Beijing intends to provide another 5 million worth of food assistance. As China is engaging in these activities, there is significant debate on China's goals for Afghanistan. Some experts posit that Beijing seeks to pull Kabul into China's geopolitical orbit, while others assess that China hopes to integrate Afghanistan more deeply into the Belt and Road Initiative, or maybe even extract Afghanistan's mineral deposits. Beijing is widely believed to want the Taliban's cooperation on national security issues, such as rooting out the East Turkestan Islamic movement, which Beijing considers a significant terrorist and separatist threat in Xinjiang. However, others doubt that China wants to secure a significant political and economic foothold in Afghanistan due to regional instability, previous failed economic partnerships, and, and potentially even China's own desire to keep Afghanistan at arm's length. Today's debate is on the proposition, within the next two years, China will establish itself as the most influential external power within Afghanistan. Before we get started, I'd like to let you weigh in on the debate by casting a vote for or against the proposition. I hope that you will all take a moment to cast a vote. So I'm going to enable the polling right now. And um, let me see if you do not, uh, please put in the chat if you do not see the poll. So I'll give everyone a moment to poll uh, and then I will continue with the rest of the uh, initial presentation. So I know a number of folks are still voting, but let me now move on to introduce our two speakers while we're waiting for the rest of you to finish the poll. So we are very delighted to have with us two excellent uh, speakers debating both for and, or, and against this proposition. Arguing for the proposition is Senior Colonel Zhou Bo, a senior fellow at the Center for Strategy and Security at Tsinghua University and a China Forum expert. Senior Colonel Zhou start, started his military service in 1979. He served in different posts in Guangzhou Air Force Regional Command. From 1993, he worked successfully as Staff Officer, Deputy Director General of West Asia and Africa Bureau, and then Deputy Director General of General Planning Bureau of the Foreign Affairs Office of the Ministry of National Defense of China. Uh, he was also the Chinese Defense Attaché to the Republic of, uh, Republic of Nubia, Nambia, and director of the Center for Security Cooperation in the Office for International Military Cooperation, Ministry of National Defense. He has published more than 100 essays and opinions in English. Senior Colonel Drobo also speaks as a PLA delegate at the Shangri-La Dialogue in Singapore and at the Munich Security Conference, and is a supervisor to foreign 
postgraduate officers at the PLA National Defense University. We're also delighted to have with us today, um, arguing against the proposition, Dr. Seth Jones, uh, Senior Vice President, Harold Brown Chair, and Director of the International Security Program at CSIS. Dr. Jones leads a bipartisan team of over 50 resident staff, an extensive network of non-resident affiliates dedicated to providing independent strategic insights and policy solutions that shape national security. He also teaches at the Johns Hopkins University School of Advanced International Studies and, and the Center for Homeland Defense and Security at the U.S. Naval Postgraduate School. Prior to joining CSIS, Dr. Jones was the director of the International Security and Defense Policy Center at the Rand Corporation. He also served as a representative for the commander, U.S. Special Operations Command, and to the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations. Before that, he was a plans officer and advisor to the commanding general, U.S. Special Operations Forces in Afghanistan. So thank you both for taking the time to join us this, mo this morning. So before we begin, uh, let me end the poll and share the results. So everyone should be able to see the polling results. Uh, right now, what we see is about 65% uh, of the folks online with us agree with the poll topic that within the next two years, China will establish itself to be the most influential external power within Afghanistan. About 35% disagree with the proposition. Over the last few days, we also ran a poll on Twitter, and I, let me also display those results. So the Twitter poll results are actually surprisingly similar to what we see uh, live today. It's about 63.8% um, agreeing with the proposition and 36% disagreeing. Uh, so with that, let's uh, now launch into the event, um, and I hope you will stay with us toward the end of the debate. So first, let me turn to Senior Colonel Drobo for his initial presentation on why China will become the most influential external power within Afghanistan. The Senior well, Colonel Drobo, uh, over to you. Uh, thank you, Bonnie Lin, and good evening from Beijing. I'm most happy with the poll just now. Well, it seems that all my all I need to do is just to confirm that uh, the poll is right. Uh, but this is a daunting task for me. Well, this really is a good question, whether within the next two years, China will establish itself as the most influential external power within Afghanistan. Let's assume if it is not China, then who else can it be? The United States is gone. Russia has a better record in Afghanistan, and its economy is just one-ninth or one-tenth of that of China. Indians, of course, want to come in, but because the Taliban's uh, strong tie with Afghanistan. And Afghanistan uh, do not want uh, India in for two reasons. One, because Pakistan always take uh, Afghanistan as its uh, strategic depths. And secondly, it will try its best always to minimize the influence of India in uh, Afghanistan. Therefore, China's role as a direct neighbor, the second largest economy, would certainly be impressive. Besides, I believe that China has two unique advantages in Afghanistan. One is political impartiality. The other is economic investment. On the first point, Afghans do not have bad memories of China, be it in Tang Dynasty over a thousand years ago, or be it now uh, between two countries. Unlike those invaders, 
that uh, came from afar to invade Afghanistan, China is a close neighbor, which has never invaded Afghanistan. So to even today, China is still among the few countries to keep its embassy open in Afghanistan, even though Beijing has not yet, has not officially recognized the Taliban government. This does not mean that China has any special love for Taliban, because China's position towards on the Afghan issue before and after Americans pull out is actually the same, and it is in line with the international community. International community. We in China consider Afghan issue not something about geopolitics or big power wrestling. It's more about humanity and humanitarian care. We, like the international community, wish the Taliban government to, to become moderate, open, and inclusive. Of course, we also wish they can make a clear break, break away from terrorist groups. China has special concern, as Bolinin mentioned just now, for Eastern Turkestan, for Eastern Turkish Islamic movement that aims to destabilize Xinjiang. We wish Taliban will honor its promise that it won't allow anyone or any force using Afghan territory to do harm to China. Now let me talk about a second unique advantage of China, that is economic investment. Even in China, from time to time, we would have people talking about how China should be cautious or China should not be over-optimistic. But I think uh, somewhat differently because it's not a question whether China should enter into Afghanistan or not. China is already enough in Afghanistan. Even during the wartime, China has been there because China is the third largest trading partner of Afghanistan after owning Pakistan and Iran. Chinese products are highly competitive in Afghanistan. And in Afghanistan, there are big Chinese companies which are among the top 500 largest companies in the world like Huawei, like ZTE, like China Railway Engineering Group Limited, like China Metallurgical Group Corporation, like China National Petroleum Companies. These uh, companies have been there for quite some time. Besides China's capability in infrastructure building and in industry are next to none. And these are badly needed for a war-torn country, for a country where industry capability is next to zero. And this is also what the Taliban want. During meetings and official statement, Taliban officials have expressed time again that they would welcome Chinese companies to invest in uh, Afghanistan. And even before its takeover of Kabul, the Taliban has promised to protect Chinese investment in Afghanistan. But security issue, of course, uh, is crucial for massive Chinese investment. But simply speaking, isn't Afghanistan now safer than during wartime? Of course it is. Against a bigger background, the whole China's Belt and Road Initiative, to a great extent, overlap with the so-called arc of instability on land. The arc, the arc of instability starts from Southern Sahara it goes through Caucasian mountains and it lands finally somewhere in Southeast Asia. And this is exactly how China's Belt and Road Initiative on land is unfolding. 
Besides, Afghanistan also has what China needs. For example, the one trillion US dollars untapped mineral deposit, including critical industrial metals, such as lithium, iron, copper, and cobalt. Actually, in November, um, representatives of five Chinese companies obtained a special visa from Taiwan government to have on-site inspection of potential lithium projects. So this is a good example of how Chinese company might further explore the market of Afghanistan. One of China's long-term strategic investment plan, of course, is the Belt and Road Initiative. And Afghanistan until now has been an attractive but a missing piece of the enormous puzzle. If China were able to extend the Belt and Road from Pakistan through to Afghanistan, for example, with the Peshawar to Kabul motorway, it would open up a shorter land route to gain access to markets in the Middle East. Although China ha has its own unique advantages, but do not count on China to fill in the black hole left by the United States. I personally do not consider China would be the first country to recognize Taliban. And I, but I believe the international community should help Afghanistan to become a normal country because that would be most conducive to peace and stability of the country and is also conducive to the security and stability of the whole region. If Taliban government becomes paralyzed, then Afghanistan would be plunged into more serious chaos. Currently, the situation is already very much dire. In this winter, nearly 23 million people, more than that is that means it's more than half uh, of the population, might have a problem of food insecurity. This country is confronting one of the worst droughts in decades. According to the United Nations, Afghanistan's wheat harvest is expected to be as much as 25% below average this year. Then, how can we solve all this problem? My answer is very simple. Give Taliban a chance to let them honor their own promise of being inclusive and open. This is the most realistic approach. Why? Because unless there is a serious internal conflict within Taliban, Taliban regime will maintain. They have a long time to come because there are no other political or military forces that can actually counterbalance Taliban. If Taliban government stabilized and practice a foreign policy or domestic or foreign policy that are not extreme, then for all the uh, countries in the region, it's only a matter of time when to recognize the Taliban government because we have to face the reality. But I personally believe Taliban government should have learned something uh, from uh, the time starting from 1990 when they took power. They should, over a decade, they should have learned something. Well, at least they said everything right, right? They promised to be open and inclusive, to let the women to go to work and let the uh, girls to go to school. The only problem is they have yet to fully realize the promise. Then let me talk a bit about what the United States should do, what China and the United States can do, and what the international community has embodied 
a United Nations can do. Now, the United States has withdrawn, but still the United States is, is, cannot leave Afghanistan completely. First, there is a, this is a moral issue. A great extent, the war, the forever war of the United States in Afghanistan has devastated this country. So it is immoral for the United States just to leave. Biden's slogan is build back better. But why shouldn't the United States build back Afghanistan better? The White House has announced that the United States plan to make its first investment in overseas infrastructure projects as part of the G7's Build Back Better World Initiative in January. But uh, it seems that uh, given all the countries uh, I mentioned uh, in the tour of uh, National Security Advisor Dali Singh, uh, Afghanistan is not uh, among the countries on his recent listening tours. Second, I believe Biden administration must race against the time to defreeze Afghan liquidity and overseas assets and lift unilateral sanctions because the window is really closing. According to New York Times, aid groups say this winter, a million children might be starved to death. When I read this figure of one million, I sort of Rwanda genocide in 1994, which reportedly killed 800,000 to 1 million people. Of course, we shall see how true that it is. But even if 1,000 children die, let alone 1 million, it will be more humiliating than US catastrophic withdrawal from Afghanistan. This is what I believe. It will be another catastrophe on the moral ground and image of the United States. Why? Because when Afghans are dying, the money that should have been used to save the life is still in the American bank and the American government simply would not give it back to Afghans. The Federal Reserve in New York holds about 7 billion US dollars of the previous Afghan government. The World Bank holds 1.5 billion US dollar in trust for Afghanistan. Afghan's economy depends on aid with grants financing approximately 75% of public spending and international donors accounted for 43% of its GDP. Since the Taliban takeover, banks are running out of cash and even Afghans with savings are unable to access the funds. This is a miserable situation. Now, can China and the US cooperate bilaterally or multilaterally to solve this problem? Well, on a natural basis, I believe China and the United States as the largest and second largest economy have a special responsibility for world peace and stability. And it actually uh, might uh, uh, help this relationship, which is extremely complicated and ever uh, competitive between China and the US. And we do have a lot of things in common on the issue of Afghanistan. Neither China nor the United States wishes to see Afghanistan sliding into a civil war. And both of us support a political solution that is Afghan-led and Afghan-owned. And both of us hope the Taliban would become open and inclusive. 
When Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi spoke to Secretary of State Antony Blinken in August, he said China stood ready to work with the United States to push a soft landing of Afghan issue. What does soft landing mean? I assume it's more about the situation. That means to let the situation coming down. But to let the situation coming down, you need to provide the blood transfusion to Afghan, which relies on blood transfusion from international donors or international fund. So that is why we in China call for the freezing Afghan liquidity, overseas assets, and lifting unilateral sanctions. When Deputy Secretary of State Wendy Sherman visited China, she mentioned about one area of cooperation that is counter narcotics. That is good because China is also a victim of narcotics. And uh, Afghanistan produced some 80% of world's opium. But think about this. If Taliban doesn't have uh, international assistance, if Taliban cannot get back money from American Federal Reserve, then drugs is still very important for the survival of this government because they have no other resources then it is impossible for China and the United States to cooperate. And finally, how could China and the United States promote cooperation among the five permanent, permanent members of the UN Security Council? I believe we five permanent members of UN Security Councils should quickly come into consultation and make explicit requirements over Taliban for uh, conditions of uh, uplifting sanctions. Because uh, this Afghan issue is unlike Iranian nuclear issue or DPRK nuclear issue, it's much easier to resolve. Why? Because the international community's requirements on Taliban is the same, to become open, moderate, and inclusive. And China and Russia's approach, yes, are somewhat different from those of the United States, France, and the UK. But our attitude are the same because we want the same thing, right? So if we, our attitude are the same, if the only difference is but the approaches, then we can come to discuss, for example, could we just lay down clearly what we need the Taliban to do immediately. We should, uh, could we ask them to have some uh, woman minister? Could we ask them to let uh, women go to, uh, go to work or ask girls to go to school? Because so far, all what I heard are more or less things like this. And I believe such things are not so difficult. And if you tell Taliban, these are the conditions for you to have money back, I believe immediately they would agree. Yeah, because these are the things they have promised. So now we should lay down specific conditions and for them to honor. And I believe it's absolutely possible. Let me stop here. Thank you. Senior Colonel Jobo, thank you very much for your comprehensive remarks, looking not only at why China uh, should be interested in Afghanistan, but also laying out uh, recommendations for what China can do, what the United States can do, and what the international community can do. 
so with that, let me turn the floor to uh, Dr. Seth Jones, and then afterwards we'll go into the rebuttals. So Seth, over to you. Thank you very much, Bonnie, for uh, moderating this. And thank you very much, Senior Colonel Joe, for those really good comments on what is, as we will talk about over the next 50 minutes or so, a very difficult situation. Overall, though, I think there are three main logical and empirical problems with the proposition. And let me treat them. Uh, I'll give an overview first and then go into depth on each of them. First, I think the historical record is clear about Afghanistan, and that is that at its core, it is a weak state with a decentralized social political infrastructure. So in a sense, significant foreign influence writ large is almost an oxymoron. This is a fallacy, I think, that the British, the Soviets, and the Americans really failed in many ways to understand. Second, is that because of the weakness of the Afghan state, we talk about a Taliban, but the Taliban's power and control as, as one gets to uh, areas of uh, rural areas of the country, um, tribal, subtribe, clan areas of the country, uh, Afghanistan has also been and will likely continue to be at the mercy of multiple regional and global powers that will work with various warlords and strongmen. And that is unfortunately the reality. So there will continue to be intense competition among all of the major powers in the region, India, Iran, Central Asian governments, China, Russia, and Pakistan itself for influence in Afghanistan, which will in many ways work against any kind of stability. And I say this, not because of that this is the way the situation in Afghanistan should be, but simply the way that it is. And then third, if there's any state that has influence with, with, uh, with the Taliban and, and in Afghanistan, uh, it's Pakistan. Uh, so the, the argument really is that Islamabad in particular holds the vast majority of influence cards in Afghanistan as it is demonstrated for over 30 years. So I'm going to end by unpacking that. And, and if, if China has a chance of influence with Afghanistan, my argument uh, will kind of end with, it will be, it have to be working by, with, and through Pakistan as the main conduit. So first of all, Afghanistan is at its core a weak state with a decentralized social political structure. And in that sense, Influence is something of an oxymoron. Most Afghans reject a strong central government from actively meddling in their affairs. I remember having a conversation with a tribal leader down in Kandahar in southern Afghanistan who told me pretty straight up that my first allegiance is to my family, then to my village, then to my sub-tribe, and finally to my tribe. And he continued by explaining that the government in any meaningful way, and this is just as true a government under Hamid Karzai as under uh, Ashraf Ghani as now under the Taliban, plays a little meaningful role in the daily life of most Afghans. So the idea that a, a foreign country like China, let alone the central government itself, can have a meaningful impact uh, throughout the country, I, I think is actually is fallacious. And, and actually, from that standpoint, even from an anthrop anthropological standpoint, misunderstands 
the power structures in Afghanistan. About two thirds of the country uh, of, uh, of Afghan Pashtuns belong to both the Gilzai, some combination of the Gilzai and Durrani confederations. There are smaller elements of the Karlani confederation in Afghanistan's eastern and southeastern provinces. But if we look at, say, the uh, Durrani tribes, we've got some pro and anti-Taliban tribes. The Papalzai and Barakzai, for example, have generally been anti-Taliban. Some of the Ishakzais and some elements of the Norzai have generally been pro-Taliban. Among the Gilzais, we've got a number of, of uh, pro-Taliban tribes, such as the Zadrans and the Hotaks, and then we have a number of anti-Taliban Gilzais. We also have a number of ethnic groups in Afghanistan, many of whom have generally not been sympathetic to the Taliban over time. Uzbeks, Tajiks, certainly the Shia Hazara and various Turkmen and others. The, the point here is that the, the power structure in Afghanistan is very decentralized. And so this, this, this has two implications for our broader discussion. One is it will, will continue to be a problem for the Taliban because when one gets outside of provincial capitals, even some district centers, Taliban power even today is very limited, if not non-existent. So the ability of even the Taliban to influence what's going on in the country is severely limited and it was during the 1990s and we've seen it with the respective governments in Afghanistan since 9-11. So even the idea that a foreign government, whether it's the British, the Russians, the Americans, and now the Chinese can have significant influence in a country that doesn't even have a strong central government, I think has to be understood. Make it to my second issue, which is uh, the, the weakness of the Afghan state historically has been filled by competition by multiple governments in the, in the region. And I think this works against really the ability to influence it certainly by one major power. So if we look at the countries in the region, all of them have provided some elements of clandestine assistance to both governments, that, that's the Taliban today, as well as uh, local militia forces, strongmen, power brokers, businessmen, the Iranians have had significant influence in Western Afghanistan, including in provinces like Herat, uh, individuals like Ismail Khan, the Hazaras in, in, in central Afghanistan, as well as a number of what we will often call the sort of old Northern Alliance crowd in the North, some of the Uzbek and Tajik power brokers. India continues to have influence among some of that Northern Alliance uh, group, uh, those that uh, operate out of northern Afghan provinces uh, and cities such as Mazar, Talokan. We've seen Indian intelligence agencies for 30 years provide support to sub-state actors in those areas. Central Asian countries, much the same. Uh, uh, Tajiks with some of the Tajik communities, uh, communities uh, Uzbekistan with some of the Uzbek communities. In addition, obviously, uh, uh, Iran has had, uh, sorry, Pakistan has had significant influence with the Taliban and other Pashtun groups operating in parts of Eastern, Southern, and then Western Afghanistan as well. 
So the point here is that we've got a lot of powers that have attempted and will continue to influence Afghanistan. So China is not alone. And with a weak state, there sadly are multiple opportunities for other countries to meddle. And this brings me to my final point really about the proposition. And then I want to sort of lay out some of the challenges I see with the Taliban regime that have little to do with the ability to get access to foreign aid uh, or, 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 or to, to, to get sanctions unlifted. And the third proposition, if there's any state that has significant influence, it's not China as we've seen over the past three decades, it's Pakistan. Pakistan has a long relationship with militant groups and other non-state actors operating in Afghanistan. Uh, it was Pakistan's leader, General Zia-ul-Haq, who remarked in 1979 to the head of ISI, Pakistan's intelligence service, Lieutenant General Akhtar Abdul Rahman Khan, that the water in Afghanistan must boil at the right temperature. Let me repeat that. The water in Afghanistan must boil at the right temperature. This has been a time-honored statement from senior Pakistan leaders that Afghanistan sits on uh, Pakistan's border and, and without Pakistan influence among Afghan leaders, so today the Taliban, there is what senior Pakistan officials said to me when I was in the US government and even since, talking to senior Pakistan, including ISI leaders, there is a double squeeze. On one border, Pakistan has to deal with its long-term enmity with India. And on its other border, it has had to deal over the last 20 years with an India that has had close relationships uh, with both uh, Karzai, President Karzai first, and then President Ghani after that. So you see, Pakistan has been caught in a double squeeze for the past 20 years. It has now relief on its Western flank. It now has an ally in Kabul that is very important to supporting its strategic depth. So if we look at the 1980s, and I think history is important, uh, Pakistan's ISI provided aid to the Mujahideen, the seven major Mujahideen groups, in cooperation at that point with the US and several other governments. In the 1990s, the ISI helped support the Taliban itself. It was there at the foundation of the Taliban, was involved in helping recruit individuals at madrasas, both on the Afghan and Pakistan side of the border. Pakistan, uh, the, the Taliban itself was born as an extremist Islamic movement from both Pakistani and Afghan madrasas, uh, supported by Pakistan. So Pakistan has been influential, extraordinarily influential uh, with the Taliban from its very inception. Um, as Gubanan Hekmachar in the, in, the, uh, uh, 19, in the early 1990s failed to take Kabul, it was ISI's help that was pivotal in providing direct support on the ground, forward deployed ISI, and Pakistan Air Force operatives uh, as the, the uh, Taliban pushed into Western Afghanistan, into Central Afghanistan, and eventually uh, into Kabul and then Northern Afghan cities. During the 2000s, uh, after the US-led overthrow of the Taliban regime, what did the Taliban do? 
they relocated where? Not into India, not into China, not into Central Asia, not into Iran, but into Pakistan. Their command and control networks, what we call the Rabari Shora, uh, uh, relocated to the areas in and around Quetta uh, in, in, um, in um, uh, uh, southern Pakistan along the Afghan-Pakistan border. That's where the uh, senior Taliban, the Rabari Shore, had its primary committees, from its military committee to its religious committee, its finance committee, all located on the Pakistan side of the border, again, in and around Quetta, where uh, Taliban senior leaders, uh, first under Mullah Muhammad Omar, then under Mullah Mansour, and then under Akun Sada, the, the current Taliban leader, brought their families uh, brought their families who resided in schools. Uh, Pakistan ISI operatives continued to provide close assistance to the Taliban over the course of the 2000s and 2010s and, and into 2021, even into early 2021. They sat in the senior Rabari Shura meetings. They provide multiple uh, types of assistance as the Taliban continued its political and military struggle in Afghanistan. Uh, Pakistan's ISI provided uh, money that went to uh, Taliban forward deployed forces. They provided intelligence, including uh, Indian activities, intelligence on Afghan government activities, US and others. They provided material, small arms, for example. They provided uh, 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 gas and petroleum to uh, Taliban forces uh, for their vehicles, everything from motorcycles to, uh, to, to trucks that were used to bring weapons across the border. But pri primarily, I think we've seen the most important uh, avenue of Pakistan influence has been sanctuary and support over time and over three decades of a close relationship. Now, that relationship has been important. If we look at the Afghan Minister of Interior right now from the Haqqani Network, Siraj Haqqani, Siraj Akhani has an interesting long-term relationship with both senior Pakistan and ISI officials. He also has a, senior, a strong historical relationship with Al-Qaeda, which I'll come back to in a moment. So again, I, I, I don't see how anyone could argue anything other than Pakistan's influence has been paramount over the past 30 years. And even if they're not the ones that will provide the most assistance, they will continue to have the most influence in an organization that they helped create, helped foster, helped support when no one else in the world did over the past 20 years. Everyone else in the world cut off diplomatic relations with the Taliban. Pakistan continued to provide support. So Pakistan, I think, in that sense, will retain uh, the most important influence. So let me just summarize, and then I, I want to put a few issues on the table. One is, I think it is important to recognize when we look at Afghan's anthropological makeup and its history, that at its core, it is a weak, what we often call a rentier state with a de decentralized social political infrastructure. Foreign influence has always been limited, as has the influence of the central government. This will be a problem for the Taliban, as it has been for every central government in Afghanistan, for at least the past century. This is a problem, I think, that if it hasn't dawned on the Chinese and even, even Pakistan, 
It should sooner rather than later, because it has been a challenge for the British, been a challenge for the Russians, been a challenge for the Americans. Second, because of the weakness of the state, there will continue to be intense competition from every major power in the region, as well as Europeans, US, and others outside of that. That will continue. And I think it is an inevitable undermining of any central government's power. And it's, it's about realist balance of power competition. Again, I say this not as a normative statement about what the situation should be in Afghanistan, but what it is and what it has been historically. And third, the argument here is that the one state that has been by the Taliban side has provided aid, understands Taliban leader, has those personal relationships, is Islamabad. And I think that will continue. Let me just say a couple other just very brief remarks about kind of the challenges we face and then some avenues for US-Chinese cooperation. I think the Afghan economy is collapsing for reasons for, for reasons in general that have little to do with the ability to get access to World Bank, government, or other funding. And, and I think there's some broad challenges just to add to, uh, add, add to this discussion here. Their Minister of Interior, who I mentioned earlier, Sirajuddin Haqqani, is a designated international terrorist who has, the, who has, who has longstanding direct ties based on UN Security Council multiple reports with Al Qaeda. This has been a problem and I think will be a continuing problem for the legitimacy of the Taliban government. We've also seen recently a number of multinational companies express deep concern about what is not a transparent or a fair justice system. No clear laws. It's one that's based instead on an extreme uh, interpretation of Islamic law or Sharia. Going to be very difficult to create an environment that is supportive or conducive to businesses and foreign direct investment with an extreme interpretation of Sharia that runs the government. Uh, and I think we're, we're going to continue to see very serious concerns about foreign companies wanting to operate in a justice system that is barely functioning right now and that cannot transparently mediate disputes. If we look at Taliban governance during the 1990s, it was the worst performing government in the world during the 1990s and failed at all categories of World Bank governance, corruption, poor, government, uh, poor governance in a number of areas. So I, I think there are gonna be some big challenges in what the Taliban uh, generally can do. But I do think to end on a positive note, I think there are areas of cooperation that are gonna be important for the US and China. And I strongly agree with Senior Colonel Zhou on areas of humanitarian assistance. A Afghans are suffering. They will continue to suffer. Um, a chunk of it has to do with what it looks like anyway is a poorly functioning Taliban government. But that does not mean that Afghans should suffer without US, Chinese, and other assistance. That should be support to internally displaced persons, refugees, and others. That support from the international community is important. There is a continuing need for support to combat counter drug operations. Uh, opium is a, it is the largest export commodity of, the, of Afghanistan right now. And the Taliban has longstanding uh, drug trade ties. 
Um, it's their biggest source of income over the past 20 years. There is a need to continue to struggle against drug trafficking, the production, cultivation, and trafficking in poppy. And then finally, there will continue to be a need to counter terrorist groups in Afghanistan and the broader region. Afghanistan is becoming the centerpiece, the epicenter of global terrorism. We've seen a resurgence of Islamic State attacks, Islamic State Khorasan province, the local affiliate of the Islamic State, and Al-Qaeda, as US intelligence has warned, may have external operations capabilities in 2022. In addition, we see a number of groups like Jaisha Mohammed and Lashkar-e Taiba operating in Afghanistan, as well as, as Senior Colonel Joe mentioned, uh, extremist uh, Uyghur groups operating in the country. So, so with a weak government, with a potential failing government, it will be a, a recipe for a safe haven for international and regional terrorist groups. I think there is a need for cooperation, for intelligence sharing, and then action against those groups. So there is, there are, are avenues for uh, common interests and common cooperation. And so with that, I will hand this off to Bonnie. Thank you very much, Seth, for a excellent uh, discussion, not only of uh, domestic um, decentralized issues within Afghanistan, but also the influence of Pakistan. And then also turning to senior, some of the comments that Senior Colonel Jobo recommended. So let me now turn the floor back to Senior Colonel Jobo for any uh, responses, reactions to uh, any of the points that Seth made or any additional elaborations that you want to make. So Senior Colonel Joel. Uh, thank you, Bonnie, and thank you, Dr. Jones. Uh, I'm very much happy at the end of your presentation, you have talked about how China and the United States might cooperate uh, by naturally on uh, quite a few fronts. And I'm uh, most happy that you mentioned about uh, uh, intelligence uh, cooperation on counterterrorism. Actually, I think I missed one point. We can also help the uh, Afghanistan in uh, cultural protection, like the uh, the historical sites and these kind of things, because this is not controversial at all. Uh, and I believe it would be useful. But uh, I do have some disagreements <clears throat> on what you said when you talk about uh, uh, China uh, most probably will influence uh, Afghanistan through Pakistan. No, I don't think so. I, because you have talked uh, in great length about how Pakistan uh, has an influence uh, over uh, Kabul, I totally agree, absolutely agree. But uh, China can certainly provide a lot of things that, that uh, Islamabad cannot provide. For example, China's uh, uh, great power, uh, China's power as one of the P5 countries, when at the political level, be it uh, lifting uh, sanctions or, or some other coordination with other four permanent members of your security council, this is not some, something that uh, uh, Pakistan can do to help uh, Afghanistan. And uh, besides, uh, uh, even economically, you see, uh, China can tremendously help uh, uh, Afghanistan. As I mentioned before, China is uh, the strongest country in infrastructure building. And China is the strongest country in industry building because China is the largest uh, industry nation on Earth. So on all these fronts, China can help uh, uh, Afghanistan tremendously. But the, the point is, 
when China help uh, uh, Afghanistan, China doesn't have uh, its uh, own uh, special interest, like uh, uh, taking uh, Af uh, Afghanistan as a proxy or whatsoever. Because you know what makes China different from the, all the invaders in the history is that all these invaders came with rifle, with bombs. And when China comes, China comes with blueprints about road construction, about the bridge construction, and who doesn't want the roads, and who doesn't want the bridges. So these things would be invariably welcomed by everybody in Afghanistan. Uh, so, uh, but I also disagree with you. If Pakistan is a bankrupt, bankrupted, you argue that it has a, has much to do with international assistance. No, I disagree, and I do believe that the Biden administration has a great moral responsibility. Besides, it will find itself in an extreme difficult situation if people in Afghanistan are dying and Afghan people's money are in your hand. So people can argue safely. They die because of you. Why don't you give back their own money and, and you will still prefer to let them die? So that is what I call the second catastrophe that is more consequential than Americans withdraw from Afghanistan. So that is why we need to solve this problem. Yeah, and the time is running out and we have to be quick. Thank you. Thank you, Senior Colonel Joe. Very passionate analysis. Uh, let me turn to Seth for a quick rebuttals and then we will move to Q&A. Thanks, Bonnie. And thanks, Senior Colonel Joe. Well, there's no question that, that a range of countries, including China, can provide assistance in Afghanistan. And if, thank, if, you, if you look at the history of Afghanistan, even over the last uh, 20 years, we've seen Japan and South Korea, the US, the Europeans providing assistance. That will continue in many ways. China will provide some assistance. Frankly, we haven't seen China provide significant assistance, uh, certainly not at the levels uh, that we have seen from the US over the past 20 years into the billions of dollars in road construction, uh, but also in, in, um, uh, in various aspects of uh, health. I mean, I, I, I would point out that if we look at a range of indicators over the past 20 years, that um, Afghan society is still much better off than what it was uh, in the 1990s, that, that health conditions uh, are notably better from the 1990s, thanks to significant international assistance. Education has improved and literacy rates are, are notably better. So economic health education factors uh, have, been, have improved dramatically if you look at both IMF and World Bank data. And that's thanks to a range of international assistance. But it also has involved significant amounts of international assistance. And China so far has not been willing to provide anything close to those amounts. And, and I'm not sure it will, which means that if we're going to see Afghanistan uh, continue to at least see uh, a, a flatlining of key health and education factors, there are two things. One is a range of governments 
will need to provide some assistance, particularly humanitarian assistance, not just China. And again, I think what we, we have not seen, we've seen China certainly talk about providing assistance. We haven't seen it do that in the sense of, uh, of uh, dollar amounts. And, and second, and I think this is important, uh, there are some huge problems we've already seen with, uh, the, with Taliban governance right now, that even with international assistance, uh, we've seen uh, targeted assassinations across Afghanistan. We have seen uh, a serious movement against women and women working. This is gonna have a, a major effect on the economy. We've seen a fundamental shifting away from having any kind of formalized justice system that companies can operate in. This is gonna to continue to have a problem. And then we've seen a Taliban regime that has close, very close relations, including its Minister of Interior with a foreign designated terrorist organization, Al Qaeda. These are all gonna be big problems that aren't gonna that aren't gonna be fixed. And I, I think these I, I, I do think Senior Colonel Joe understates the severe problems that uh, the Taliban faces in govern in governing effectively. So that even releasing uh, so, uh, the international funds that are being held up right now, as we've seen the Afghan uh, government formed, no women in its uh, senior roles, almost no technocrats. Uh, we have religious leaders that are running uh, the country with no experience in running any kind of a government in the last 20 years. I mean, this is a really, that, that, that if there's any hope for Afghanistan in the future, it's not going to be releasing some international funds. It's going to be building governance capacity right now for the Taliban. And as, as we've seen in Afghanistan with a weak historical central government, building effective governance is going to be the single biggest challenges. This is not lifting World Bank, IMF, US, European funding. This is going to be building a functioning government system. And I think that's where I see the, the, uh, the, the, the biggest challenge. And again, you know, at, at the end of the day, when it comes to influence within a foreign country, I would say it's not about the amount of money that uh, countries provide. Uh, there's no question that China has the ability to provide more money to Afghanistan than Pakistan. But the reality is that there are deep historical links and deep current links between senior Taliban leaders and Pakistan. That is the reality, uh, that if for every single current Taliban leader, where have they lived over the past 20 years? Where have their children grown up? It's been in Pakistan. Pakistan has a large Pashtun population that has been supportive of the Pakistan. So, I think the reality is that that is the government, Islamabad, that has the trust, the legitimacy, the support, the understanding of the Taliban right now, as poorly functioning as that Taliban government is. And that by far, uh, we, we saw it in the 1980s, we saw it in the 1990s, we saw it in the 2000s, we thought we saw it, we've seen for four decades Pakistan's successful influence in Afghanistan. And I think 
I think uh, arguing for anything other than that is to misunderstand the power dynamics both within Afghanistan, within the region, within the Taliban itself. But let me come back again to this issue. None of this should distract us from finding avenues for cooperation in Afghanistan. I have argued on the record that it was a mistake for the US to leave Afghanistan. I think it would be a mistake for the US not to provide additional assistance in the future. There are avenues and there are areas where the US can and should cooperate on humanitarian grounds, counter-narcotics grounds, and even counter-terrorist grounds, areas of common interest and even some common cooperation with China and obviously other governments in the region as well. Great, thank you, Seth. Uh, so let me now move it this to the Q&A. I see a number of folks have already figured out how to submit questions. Uh, for those of you who do not know, uh, you can just type the questions into the chat function and we will be able to see it. So as we're waiting for more questions to populate, let me actually start off with a question for Senior Colonel Jobo. Uh, so Senior Colonel Joe uh, and Seth mentioned this earlier, there have been quite a bit of uh, reporting in terms of uh, the emergence of terrorist groups uh, within Afghanistan. And we're also seeing that ISIS-K is increasingly targeting China. This October, we saw a Uyghur suicide bomber kill 50 people at a mosque in Afghanistan. And this um, bombing was messaged as intended to punish the Taliban for its cooperation with China, despite Chinese actions against Uyghurs in Xinjiang. I want to get your sense of how this message was received within Beijing and to what extent might uh, these concerns that um, if China becomes more involved in Afghanistan, there might be more uh, terrorist retaliation against Beijing. How might that impact uh, Chinese thinking about its willingness to be involved in Afghanistan? Uh, thank you, Bunny. It's uh, really a very good question. Uh, well, uh, as I uh, have responded just now, and now I would also like to uh, give a response to Dr. Jones. Uh, basically, it's not a question of how we like Taliban. Uh, it's a question now they're already in power, and no other political forces, like it or not, could actually overthrow Taliban. I understand what you said about how strong the relationship uh, um, Kabul is with Islamabad. I have no disagreement whatsoever at all. Uh, with Bonnie's question, uh, yes, uh, uh, we have uh, the ETIM uh, in uh, uh, Afghanistan, and that is why we would uh, want them, uh, the Taliban, to, put, to curb those uh, anti-China terrorist groups. And actually, uh, the possibility of these terrorist uh, terrorists uh, getting across uh, China-Afghan border through a Wuhan corridor is very much limited because uh, the environment is extremely harsh. It is steepy and, uh, and it is uh, very, very difficult for Afghans to get uh, across to the Chinese side uh, from uh, the border. But still, the whole, uh, is, uh, uh, the whole ETIM movement may just spill over into China as a, uh, the, we have given example just now. So our attitude on Afghan government is very clear because this is a, a top concern for China. So because these terrorist groups, they're limited in numbers, actually a few hundred. So Taliban government should have a full capability to keep these people under control or even eradicate them. 
Great. Thank you. Thank you, Senior Colonel Joe. Uh, uh, we see a, I, have a, I see a couple of questions for Seth related to uh, the relationship between Pakistan and China. And maybe I could first direct this question to Seth and then uh, Senior Colonel Joe, if you want to jump on this. So the general question uh -huh. is, um, Seth, you argue that Pakistan is likely to be the most powerful external actor on Afghanistan. But many folks in the chat have noted that China has a very strong relationship with Pakistan. So to what extent do you think that Pakistan would be open to cooperating with China on Afghanistan? And to what extent does Pakistan want to preserve its own influence in Afghanistan? Well, uh, very good questions, uh, Bonnie. Uh, and I think this sort of cuts to the heart of what we're talking about. So first of all, uh, Pakistan has its own self-interest like every country does in providing assistance to the Taliban and operating in Afghanistan. And that gets to the double squeeze that I talked about earlier, strategic depth, that at the end of the day, the uh, uh, Pakistan's main enemy is India. Uh, it, uh, Pakistan and India share a long border. And, and as we have seen over the last 20 years, and my conversations with senior Pakistan officials in the foreign affairs area, in the Ministry of Defense, in the prime minister's and president's office, and then within ISI, is they have been very unhappy about a, an Afghan government up until now uh, that, has, uh, that has been supportive and had strategic relations with India. So that's obviously changed. The Taliban is, a, is a, an ally of Pakistan. So at the end of the day, I think Pakistan is going to be self-interested to retain support uh, with the Taliban as part of its balancing effort against India. However, there are going to be opportunities to cooperate with uh, China. And, and I think you know, any, any activity that the Chinese want the Taliban to do, I think is in general have can, is going to have to be done by, with, and through uh, Pakistan. Um, and I'm not saying that, that uh, China cannot go directly to Taliban leaders, it can. But it's, if it's going to be successful, it's going to have to work with uh, Pakistan, which is the most important and closest ally and historical friend of the Taliban. We have seen tensions with Pakistan and the Taliban, so it's not like that relationship is perfect. But I'll tell you, the biggest area of, of a concern I have about the China-Pakistan relationship uh, is going to be that the Taliban is going, I think, is going to struggle enormously on multiple fronts. Uh, its track record of running a government is very poor. Um, and I, I, I know that there, there are all kinds of certainly hopeful ways that uh, Afghanistan can be useful for Belt and Road Initiative. The problem, I think, is going to be long term that um, with a weak central government, a weak historical central government, the Taliban is going to have problems dealing with terrorist groups operating on its soil. Its size isn't very large. Afghanistan has a history of, uh, of, in, of having these groups embedded themselves in mountainous areas that are difficult to operate in, in local tribal, subtribe, clan populations that may be conducive to those uh, militant groups. So I, I think no, no Afghan government in the, past, in the last century has been able to effectively deal with militant groups entirely on its border. That will create 
tensions, I think, between Beijing and Islamabad when the Taliban is not fully successful in countering these terrorist groups. And again, it's, it's virtually, it's a, ta- it's a very tall order in a country with a weak state. The other problem is the more that we see these governance challenges from the Taliban and the more we see economic problems, I think the more concerned I have about uh, violence, insurgency, and civil war in the country. Now, the Taliban is able to control the country for now. So did the previous Afghan government for about a year or two. Once things didn't work out particularly well, and we saw corruption problems, governance challenges, economic challenges, then we began to see resistance. And that second point that I mentioned earlier, you better believe, and this is not a normative comment that this is the way the situation should be, but more a a realist comment that this is the way the situation has historically is, you better believe that uh, the Indians will provide assistance to Northern Alliance groups operating in the country. Uh, the, The Iranians will continue to provide assistance to groups in Western and Central and Northern Afghanistan. So there will be aid coming to groups that that, uh, push back against the Taliban, particularly if there are governance and economics problems. And this is gonna make it difficult, I think, for any kind of a long-term belt and road initiative with a weak government, it's gonna be hard to establish security. Sort of Max Weber's um, uh, concept of security, having a monopoly of violence, of legitimate violence in a territory. That's, I think, the challenge that I see. Thank you, Seth. Uh, Senior Colonel Joe, if you want to provide your thoughts on how China may be able to influence Afghanistan through Pakistan, or if you want to argue that China doesn't need to do so. I think you did make that argument, but maybe you could talk a little bit about the China-Pakistan relationship. Yeah, uh, thank you, Bonnie. Uh, China's, well, let me tell you something. Um, uh, Back in 1993, when I first entered my uh, Office of Military uh, Military Cooperation, uh, International Military Cooperation. I received the Pakistani delegation, and I still remember what he said. He's a, he was a defense minister. He said the Pakistani disagree on almost everything except our friendship with China. This, officially speaking, is called the bedrock of the foreign policy. So China's problem with Pakistan won't be a problem. Uh, won't be uh, uh, a big problem at all. And if uh, Pakistan has good relationship with Afghanistan, we're happy to see that. And what's the problem for us? Uh, enemy's uh, 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 enemy, uh, 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 enemy's enemy is enemy, but a friend's friend is my friend. So what is the problem with, with us? It, it doesn't matter at all, right? And uh, actually, I think not only I myself, but the international community has some suspicions about the American attitude. That is, what is the true motive beside, uh, behind you laying, laying down all the conditions, but these conditions are just uh, to be open and inclusive. If you say, okay, the, the uh, minister, interior minister, must be off the cabinet for us to give you aid. If the girls must go to school, if women must work, these are not big issues. What are the specific difficult issues that you are raising? I, I could not imagine 
really there are difficult issues. So I believe sometimes because the United States just has left Afghanistan in such a humiliating way, so you shall just want to humiliate the Taliban back. And otherwise it cannot explain why would you uh, just just uh, say this and that without doing, doing much. Of course, Taliban has a great problem in governance, but these things could improve. Besides, even if you don't like them, and who else could replace them? Yes, there are factions of terrorists, terrorists, and even they have intermarriage, and even they are friends. We know all this, but no other political force or military force can replace the Taliban right now. And because of the impending situation, we need to really think about humanitarian assistance to Afghan people at this moment. This is what I mean. And even if we have the worst situation, for example, what you said to be a civil war, China can still help. Because then if peacekeeping is required, then China can send the peacekeepers there. China has currently about 2,500 peacekeepers around the world. And besides, China had 8,000 standby troops for peacekeeping. So who can trust the uh, uh, peacekeepers best if the country turned to be Afghanistan? Of course, Chinese, because China, China never invaded Afghanistan. So even in this regard, if in the most unpleasant and unfortunate situation, China can still help uh, Afghanistan. And uh, talking about the Belt and Road, does it really matter uh, if uh, any country doesn't want to join Belt and Road? I think it doesn't matter that much because even if it matters, China can, cannot control that, right? Because the Belt and Road are just on voluntary basis. If India doesn't want to join Belt and Road, that is fine. But I believe Afghanistan really wants to join because Taliban mentioned that. And because, yes, even if we have better road uh, uh, developing in Afghanistan, we could still have a problem from all these uh, factions, uh, from all these terrorist groups whatsoever, as we have seen in Pakistan. Pakistan is friendly to China, but still there are uh, such as uh, the PLA in Baluchistan doing sabotage against the Chinese because of different purposes. But still, Pakistan government know this is a godsend for them over decades. So they have to make sure that these projects would become successful. So who don't, who don't want a good road? So I'm not excluding all the problems, but I'm, what I'm saying is all these problems aside, China's Belt and Road Initiative has still become successful because China actually is targeting the basic problem, the most fundamental problem in national building. This is about building roads and building good infrastructure. And such kind of good experiences come from China's own experience since reform and opening up. And it is through building such beautiful roads, we are having better life. Thank you. Thank you, Senior Colonel Zhou. Uh, I feel like we could probably go on another hour with this very passionate and very insightful analysis on both sides. But in interest of time, we'll need to wrap up here. Let me um, start the poll again to see if folks' opinions have changed in the last hour or so. And while we do that, I will actually then turn to both um, Seth as well as Senior Colonel Drill for 
a very quick 30 second wrap up of whatever you want to say in terms of your position or what you want uh, folks to take away. So the poll has started for those who can see, please vote. And while we're voting, let me turn very quickly, Seth, 30 seconds, and then Senior Colonel Drobo for 30 seconds, whatever you want to say in terms of what folks should take away, whether that's China's involvement in Afghanistan or Pakistan in Afghanistan. So Seth, over to you. Yeah, let me just end with some comments, I think, where both uh, Senior Colonel Joe and I agree. And that is, uh, we may disagree a bit on the Taliban government, its legitimacy, but I think one area where we strongly agree and where Chinese, US, and broader international assistance is gonna be important is to minimize the suffering of the Afghan people. They did not choose this Taliban government uh, there were no elections. It was a government that was seized uh, by military force. You cannot, at the end of the day, blame uh, Afghans anyway. So I think in this sense, the suffering that we're seeing right now in Afghanistan, the suffering we're likely to continue to see through a very cold and dark winter is something that all of us collectively, the US, China, and other countries, can help relieve that suffering of the Afghan people. They're the ones who should not be suffering. We're not gonna end all of the suffering, but I think we can help provide some assistance to some Afghans to at least mitigate that suffering with food and blankets and medicine and other kinds of aid. Thank you, Seth. Uh, Senior Colonel Joel. Yes, uh, well, I, I cannot agree more with what the Dr. Jones uh, concluded. First of all, I hope this is uh, another a new area uh, for China and the uh, United States to cooperate. I forgot to mention actually China and uh, Afghanistan, China and the United States had excellent cooperation in the past on Afghan issue. Uh, we jointly have trained diplomats and technicians. So this is uh, uh, something done in the past. Why don't we continue to do something new? Uh, the second thing is, yeah, exactly as you have said, uh, I believe uh, we should not punish Afghan people because of Taliban. Yeah, and uh, we cannot change the fact that the Taliban is in power, but we should not uh, punish Afghan people uh, with intentionally or unintentionally. And let's join hands to do something, to help these people, because winter is really coming. Great. Thank you. Thank you both, uh, Seth and Senior Colonel Joe. Really great positive uh, comments to end on. And let me share the results of the poll. You should see that on your screen now. Uh, we, had, we see a slight shift in uh, some of the perspectives with now 57% of folks disagreeing that China will become the next, uh, the most influential external power within Afghanistan. So that shows that we had a really amazing debate with great facts presented on both sides. Uh, now in the interest of time, let me quickly uh, note that we do have another event scheduled at 10.15. Uh, it will be our keynote with Senator Steve Daines. So I hope you will stay with us uh, until 10.15. Uh, in the meantime, we will um, uh, keep this channel open, but we will uh, all mute ourselves. And um, uh, I will hopefully see most of you back in around 10 or so minutes. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you again for Seth and Senior Colonel Drobo for a wonderful, wonderful discussion on China's role in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm.